Hello, welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. And hi, my name's Kay. And today we'll be reading from the Book of Signs by Dr. David Jeremiah. And we are in an exciting chapter regarding the two witnesses. So Kay, can you start us out today with the preservation of the witnesses? Yes, I will. The story of the two witnesses will not end with their deaths or the display of their corpse. After the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. Wow. They stood on their feet (sighs) and great fear fell on those who saw them. Three and a half days will pass while the world celebrates their deaths. And then two astounding events will turn the celebration into abject terror. Their resurrection. As the world celebrates, the breath of the life from God will infuse the two corpses. The same breath that resurrected the body of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Oh my goodness. The wild celebrations will cease suddenly and the watching world will gape in shock as the two corpses stir and rise to their feet, whole and healthy. The horror these resurrections generate will be indescribable. The beast will find no way to counterfeit this miracle. What's my little saying always been? God wins in the end. Oh, yeah, you don't win, Satan, ever. No. Yes. And so their rapture, after their resurrection, a loud voice from heaven will call to the witness saying, come up here, a cloud will envelop them, and they will rise into heaven as their enemies gape in astonishment. The two witnesses will experience a rapture much like that of the church but with one significant difference. The church will be taken in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trumpet. The event will be so sudden that no eye will see it happen. The rapture of the two witnesses, however, will not occur in a flash, but will be visible to their enemies. It is yet another display of God's power to jar them out of unbelief and into repentance. John Phillips vividly describes this event. Picture the scene. The sun-drenched streets of Jerusalem. The holiday crowds flown in from ends of the earth for a first-hand look at the corpse of these detested men. The troops in the beast's uniform. The temple police. There they are. Devilish men from every kingdom under heaven come to dance and feast at the triumph of the beast. And then it happens. As the crowds strain at the police cordon to peer curiously at the two dead bodies, there comes a sudden change. Their color changes from cadaverous hue to the blooming rosy glow of youth. Oh my gosh. They're going to, there'll be two stiff bodies dead corpses. Wow. Those stiff, stark limbs, they bend, they move. Oh, what a sight. They rise. The crowds fall back, break, and form again. Henry Morris adds, the sight will be enough to strike terror into the hearts of the most 
arrogantly rebellious of their enemies. The moment before such men were rejoicing in supreme confidence that Christ was finally defeated at Satan's man and Satan's man was on the victor's throne. But now Christ has triumphed again. The ascent of the prophets into heaven was a dire prediction that even greater judgments were about to descend from heaven. The three and a half day festivities were about to be followed with by another three and a half day or three and a half years of judgments more severe than ever. As great as the fear of these watching enemies will be, an even greater terror will quickly descend upon them. Their revenge. When the heavens close over the two risen witnesses, a sudden earthquake will reduce a tenth of the city to rubble, killing 7,000 people in Jerusalem alone. In the original text, the word translated people actually means men of name. This indicates that the 7,000 fatalities will likely be famous people or political leaders, those most responsible for the persecution of the two witnesses. The survivors quaking and groveling in terror will have no choice but to acknowledge the resurrection and ascension of the two witnesses and the subsequent earthquake as acts of divine power. John tells us that they were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. It's unlikely that they truly turned to God in faith and repentance. A surge of terror can trigger a momentary emotional response without producing a permanent change of heart. We saw this temporary revival of the religious impulse of the wake of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center towers. For weeks afterward, we witnessed a seeming turn towards God. Prayers ascended, church attendance soared, a renewed sense of community prevailed, but it was not long before attitudes reverted to their pre-9-11 norm. Fear dissipated every day, routine resumed, and God slipped out of people's minds. Yet even amid the horror of the tribulation period, some will heed the two witnesses' messages of redemption and respond to the loving call of God. As always, he will offer a way out of the darkness and into his light. His love and mercy never ceases. So people are given another opportunity. Isn't for, that amazing? For, for redemption. It, it, it is amazing, Teresa. It really is. Hopefully they'll take the opportunity. Take the opportunity yeah. and um, not be blind anymore, right? Right. Right. So now we're going to move into the dragon. The dragon. The dragon. Okay. William Golding's classic novel, Lord of the Flies, tells the chilling tale of a group of pre-adolescent British boys who were ruined by an air crash on an uncharted Pacific island. They chose a leader who tries to establish order and to ensure survival, but jealousy and dissension soon undermine his authority the order disintegrates into chaos as rebellion and sheer malice 
divide the boys into hostile camps. The chaos quickly descends into savagery, and the boys yield to superstition and paranoia, smear themselves with pig's blood, and perform barbaric rituals. The rituals climax when a decaying boar's head, swarming with flies, is impaled on a pole and worshipped as the Lord of Flies. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, me either. I don't think I want to. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Might have my curiosity now. (laughs) All semblance of order evaporates as some boys are killed in ritualistic frenzies and a rebelling fraction militia ignites a forest fire that will destroy the island. It's the story of our world, past, present, and future. We've all sensed the reality of it. It seems there is no more evil operating the world than mere human sin can ever account for. Ever since humanity rejected God's authority, there has been an ever-present, lurking, persistent, dark force posed to invade the human heart, given the slightest opening, a force that is pushing the world towards a catalytic end of ruin and destruction. Lord of the Flies is a literal translation of Beelzebub or Baalzebub. The name is applied to the ruler of the demons in the New Testament. Lord of the Flies actually means the Lord of Death to which flies are attracted. Beelzebub is often synonymous of Satan. The antagonist in the drama of human history from its beginning to its prophesied end. Satan, the Lord of Death, is our perennial ad- adversary and the arch enemy of God and his creation. It was his rebellion that corrupted creation and brought death and evil into the world. He has been mankind's bitter enemy, tempter, and inflictor of grief ever since. In Revelation 12, we learn much about the arch finds role in the end times drama. His objective, his character, his vendetta, his rebellion, and his doom. These elements are revealed in five phrases of such cosmic significance that all but one are preceded by the adjective great. A great sign, a great dragon, a great war, a great wrath, and finally, the wings of a great eagle. Let's explore these revealing elements one by one. The great sign. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. This woman bathed in light, crowned with stars, and laboring in the throes of childbirth has endured many interpretations, but only one is fully consistent with the Bible. She is certainly the nation of Israel, the target of Satan's deadly malice. The Old Testament often characterizes Israel as a woman enduring the travail of childbirth. I did not know that. Isaiah writes, As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pains, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child, we have been in pain, and we have, as it were, brought forth wind. 
we have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth. This unhappy image of a pregnant woman failing to deliver her child pictures Israel's failure to deliver God's light of hope to the nations. Yet, even after centuries of failure, the Jews had the honor of delivering Christ to the world. As John says, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. The power-packed verse highlights three of the most momentous events defining the role of Christ in human history. Number one, Christ's incarnation. She bore a male child. Number two, Christ's ascension. Her child was caught up to God in his throne. Number three, Christ's second coming. He will rule all nations with the rod of iron. The prediction that Christ will rule all nations with the rod of iron is reaffirmed in the final chapters of Revelation, where John describes Christ as he descends to fight mankind's final battle. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Here in the first great sign we see Satan's objective. He is determined to destroy the woman's child to prevent both God's redemptive purpose and his own destruction. The great dragon. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Here we see Satan thwarted in his attempt to destroy the Christ child and his army of angels were driven from heaven and plunged headlong to the earth. From that moment on, his trajectory is always downward, like a crashing plane caught in tailspin. He falls from heaven to the earth, from earth to the bottomless pit, and from the pit to the lake of fire. Revelation 12 gives us more consecrated information about the dragon, Satan, and any other than any other chapter in the Bible. Here we learn of his personality, his power, his partners, and his purpose. We're going to stop there, and next week we're going to start with Satan's personality. We want to thank everybody for stopping by. And until next time, God bless you and have a great week.